Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. So please take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 25 and Jeremiah chapter 52 in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Freedom Forgiveness Gives. The Freedom Forgiveness Gives. A number of years ago in a small town in Spain, a man and his teenage son had a very difficult fight, a very painful argument. They had a falling out that led to deep feelings of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness on both sides. This caused the son to launch out on his own, angry and upset. And he took off and left the country where he lived for the city. Not soon after that, the dad, he regretted it. He sensed the mistakes that he made and how he treated his son. And he took off to search for his boy day and night. And even after several months, he wasn't able to find him. Until finally, as one last-ditch effort, he placed the following ad in the classified section of the Madrid newspaper. And it simply said, and I quote, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. By 12 o'clock the next day, there were over 800 men named Paco, gathered outside the newspaper building, only showing that every one of them was looking for the forgiveness from his father. There's a desperate need for forgiveness today. And I wonder if such a general advertisement would be put out on Facebook or Instagram today saying forgiveness is available with your name, that you wouldn't find yourself showing up with other people with the same name, looking for forgiveness that you have never received. There's a desperate need for forgiveness as we see families are broken and marriages are dissolved and painful circumstances continue to happen with separation and division, and it's a hard time. The Bible says in the last days that the hearts of many will grow cold. Unless we just read that for those separate from God, it's also possible for our hearts to grow cold and hard toward the things of God. The influence of the devil to hold on to resentment and anger and bitterness and basically live with an unforgiving spirit continues to weaken the church, divide families, and erode the effectiveness of believers' lives. More damage, more pain, And more ongoing separation is rooted in the sin of unforgiveness. And yes, the Bible declares it to be a sin. And more continual separation is not only as unforgiveness exists, but it's matched with a lack of repentance and humility. Early on in the discipleship of the followers of Jesus, including us, Jesus would speak on this subject and he would say in Matthew chapter 6 verse 14, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Forgiveness of others is non-negotiable. It's not even on a multiple choice quiz for the believer. We're to forgive as we've been forgiven. Unless you aren't convinced, consider, number one, forgiveness is commanded by God. Forgiveness is a command, and obedience is not optional. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. When you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. It's a command. Number two, forgiveness reflects the very image of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. Finally, they came to a place called the skull, and all three were crucified there. Jesus on the center cross and the two others on either side. And Jesus said, and I quote, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. And then the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Forgiveness reflects the image of Jesus. Thirdly, forgiveness breaks down strongholds in our lives. Forgiveness breaks down strongholds. When you and I forgive, we experience healing to our hurting hearts. And forgiveness is the one major antidote to bitterness. Obedience to forgive brings freedom and enables one to start over in a relationship by the grace and mercy of God. The entire true story of the life of Joseph illustrates the freedom forgiveness brings. And then finally, number four, forgiveness loosens the stranglehold of guilt in the offender. No longer will that person have to rehearse their sin and carry it unforgiven by someone else. They actually become released by love and kindness. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 says, And so as God always points to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his favor and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us through Christ Jesus. He always points us to the wealth. This is from the New Living. The wealth and favor of his kindness toward us. Forgiveness brings freedom to everyone involved. Remember, we forgive because God forgives us in Christ. The same forgiveness that we receive undeserved and unearned is what we owe to others and functions to relieve the oppressive burden of what we know is guilt. If Jesus had not extended kindness and forgiveness to sinners, we would forever exist in the stranglehold of guilt, sin, and darkness. Now let me add here, this is not an area where we're going to develop in our Bible study, but forgiveness and reconciliation are actually two distinct things. And the confusion that comes with forgiveness often is by confusing those two as one. Forgiveness is an act of obedience by whereby you, you extend the freedom and forgiveness to someone else. It actually, the root of the word forgiveness means to release and to let go, to forgive a debt. And so the very act of forgiveness acknowledges that someone hurt us, acknowledges that there's pain, and acknowledges that there are issues, and you make a conscious decision, whether you can communicate it to them or not. Because sometimes unforgiveness is rooted to someone that's already passed away. And whether they're available to connect or not, you daily before the Lord release them when feelings of bitterness and, and all kinds of grudge and all that stuff shows up in your heart. Reconciliation is usually the natural byproduct of forgiveness, but it requires an additional step by the other. 
And that additional step is repentance. Without repentance, there can be no restoration of relationship. That's why it becomes frustrating when you say, but I've forgiven them, but nothing has changed. Well, it's not entirely true that nothing has changed because by your extending forgiveness, you're free. And you say, but Pastor Ed, you don't understand. They continue to sin against me over and over and over again, so it feels like it was the very first time. And the answer to that is forgiveness. Forgiveness while you're praying for repentance. And so in the pamphlet we have, you can email me, and I know this will be out on the radio at a later time, so you can email me directly, pastored at calvaryaurora.org, and ask for the forgiveness packet from this Bible study, and I will quickly respond to that email with a link where you can download the PDF of a pamphlet called Forgiveness and Reconciliation. It's very short, very easy to read, filled with scripture, that will elaborate even deeper on this topic of forgiveness. So Pastor Ed at calvaryaurora.org and I'll respond to that email as fast as I can, turning around with a link where you can download that PDF and then you can pass it on and use it. We have permission to use it. We have permission to pass it on and it's very powerful. It's something that's good to revisit from time to time because there's always a new year. There's always new hurts and always new difficulties and new thoughts and the enemy's relentless. But for our time today, forgiveness is essential. It's a command. It's something that we're able to extend and be free from it ourselves. And today in this section of 2 Kings, I want to draw your attention to chapter 25 and verse 27 to a king by the name of Jehoiachin. And in this study of King Jehoiachin, we're going to learn a beautiful picture of forgiveness. You see, in the chapter... Jerusalem has fallen, and the second to the last king of Judah has been in prison for 37 years. And during this time, King Nebuchadnezzar has pridefully, those of you that have studied Daniel, he has pridefully declared his great power and his great possessions, only to be humbled by God. We learn of this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, where it says the king, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, says, is this not great Babylon that I have built for myself, a royal dwelling, my mighty power, and for the honor of my majesty? And you Bible students know that while the words were still in his mouth, while he was still declaring these things, God gave him the mind of a beast. Imagine the king of the known world who has just conquered Judah and taken all of the possessions and taken all of the people and taken captive is now like a beast. Well, his son, which is an interesting name, his son is Evil Merodach, takes his place to rule Babylon. And at the end of the seven years of this madness in Nebuchadnezzar, he ends up praising God, returns to the throne, discovering the evil of his son's rule, and threw him into prison. But then Nebuchadnezzar dies, and his son gets out of prison and gets the chance to rule again. This is where I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 52 with me as we gain insight of this time in the history of King Jehoiachin of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, his son, goes to prison, gets out, and now notice what happens. Psalm 52, pick up with me in verse 31. Jeremiah. 
somewhere in the Bible, chapter 52. Thank you, Jeremiah 52. Jeremiah 52, verse 31. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of all the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed from the prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death, all the days of his life. One of the very first things that Nebuchadnezzar's son does is go to prison and pull Jehoiachin out of prison. He gave him a kingship higher than all the ones of all the Babylonian kingdom. And imagine that. It's hard to put into thought being imprisoned for 37 years. And I wonder, I wonder if it was a very weird feeling, a very awkward adjustment. For here wants the king of Judah to spend 37 years in confinement and in an instant, in a moment of time, he is free. You know, I have found over the years that many, many people get used to their captivity. They get used to where they are, to their sinful habits, to the patterns of their flesh. I've found that many people have made unforgiveness their best friend, that they have become friends and acquaintances with bitterness finding themselves having more conversations with themselves over the people they're upset with than real true prayer time with the Lord. I've seen how people can get used to their captivity and get used to their identity as being defined by their failures instead of the power of God. And I mean, to be in captivity for 37 years is quite significant. To, to make bitterness and resentment friends and sadly, some people would rather stay in their captivity than enjoy the freedom of the Lord and His grace and His mercy. Remaining in captivity is not the will of Jesus Christ for you. He wants to set you free. In a very real way, we are set free as we take the steps of forgiveness. In Jesus, there's newness and there's forgiveness from Him. But oftentimes... In response to the forgiveness extended by Jesus Christ, there is the choice to take the place of God in our own lives and live under the shadow of our own condemnation. Because anger and frustration will often lead to regret and regret will often lead to condemnation and condemnation will lead to death. It will stifle the very life of Jesus Christ out of us. And when you are unwilling, you know, in, one, in a Bible study I taught in Romans chapter 8, uh, we, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is a beautiful truth that Paul gives us. We actually spent a couple weeks in that section. And in Romans chapter 8 it begins, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And 
we spoke on the essence of that verse. I taught on the essence of that verse and what the words mean. And then in the next Bible study, it's a Bible study on how to move forward. So we understand what the Bible says. There is no condemnation and we believe it and we accept it and, and we understand it. But many times the difficulty is now, how do I live it? How do I live it? And one of the principles that I share in that is to forgive yourself. To forgive yourself. Now I know the world system and the culture that we're in has totally ripped off that phrase. And the Bible version of that does not mean the way the world does. You see, when the world says forgive yourself, they speak of pampering yourself, taking care of yourself, eliminating it, put yourself first. You're the most important person, so make sure that you take care of yourself first. And, and that the Bible couldn't speak of anything different than the way the world teaches. Because from the perspective of God, the instruction to forgive yourself is not necessarily an act of power on your part, but rather an act of surrender in accepting the forgiveness of God. And you say, but Ed, you don't understand what I did. And perhaps I don't, but I can assure you that God does. And he loves you, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to forgive you. And so when you're to look to forgive yourself, it's simply a surrender in believing what God says about you. There is no condemnation. So when we choose the route, you may, we, don't, we may not use the word con condemn. We may not say condemnation. We may put it this way. When we choose to beat ourselves up over our failures, when there is forgiveness ready to be received, then what we are doing is we're placing ourselves in the place of God. And you're basically saying these words. These words are, maybe they don't verbalize from your mouth, but you're basically living out these words. And you're saying something along the lines of this. I understand that God forgives me, but if I was God, I wouldn't forgive me. And you stay stuck in that condition. And the release of that place of constant cycle of condemnation is surrender and accepting and receiving and agreeing that God has indeed forgiven me in Christ Jesus. It is a painful process because the forgiveness of God does not eliminate the consequences that come with our failures. And because our consequences are always dogging our steps and we're always reminding, you know, it's very difficult. Sometimes God is very gracious and minimizes the consequences. Sometimes he's just so beautiful. But other times we feel the full weight of, of our own sinful decisions and consequences. And then somebody responds sinfully and now we've got to deal with that. And, and it's painful. It's a painful world that we live in. But the place of abiding and resting and receiving is the place of freedom. Receiving the forgiveness of God. And like Jehoiachin, some have a hard time not living in captivity and not living in the newness of life. If we can't forgive or if we can't receive forgiveness, we can't move on. We can't go forward. Unforgiveness, you can write this if you're taking notes in your notes, you can write it in a little graphic. You can write unforgiveness and then the equal sign. Because unforgiveness equals stuck. Unforgiveness equals a prison of misery. 
Unforgiveness is often the source of why we're not making progress in our relationship with God. And so here in our text, primarily in in Jeremiah 52, we observe the king of Babylon. He's not even a believer. He doesn't even love God. He, He doesn't care. And here we have the king of Babylon, not even a believer, showing more forgiveness than most give to others. And there are six things that we learn about forgiveness. Really, you could say 12 things because we learn the item when it comes to the king releasing King Jehoiachin and we learn the truth of that release people to people. But also in this, we learn of a greater king. We learn of the king of kings who has descended into our prison of desperation and darkness when we were lost and without any hope wandering around blinded to our own sin, without life. The king of kings, we learn, he's a greater than this old king from Babylon, and he does a thorough work of forgiveness and deliverance. And so notice with me, if you're taking notes, the first thing we learn is, number one, Jehoiachin was brought out. Mark those were brought out. He was brought out by the king. Notice with me verse 31. It says that in the, it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, the 12th month on the 25th day, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of reign, lifted up his head and brought him out of prison. He brought him out. The king didn't send a messenger. He didn't send a servant. He didn't have the prison guards release him. He chose to do it himself which is interesting to me. He was in captivity himself. He's elevated to the throne after his dad's death. He is, for all intents and purposes, the leader of the known world at the time. And he takes it upon himself to go down into the very prison that he was just released from and releases King Jehoiachin. That's what God has done for us. The creator of the universe has himself forgiven us and set us free. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a pastor or a priest. God himself came down and delivered you from your prison of sin and darkness. Like God is ready to forgive all the rotten things we've ever done, all the horrible words, all the sins that have been buried. They've all been buried, washed away, blotted out, and forgiven by Jesus Christ. He came himself. He set aside his divine prerogatives and came to release us from our sin. Isn't that what he said in John chapter 8, verse 36? If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. That's a done deal. There's nobody to second guess it, nobody to come and say, hey, everybody might wonder what happened, but the king has the authority, and he went and took care of it himself. I love that. Number two, I find that Jehoiachin was comforted by the king. Notice verse 32. He was comforted by the king. It says that he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat. You know, the the church of Jesus Christ, it could use some more kindness. I know the world can. I understand that. But you know the church, us, we could be kinder and gentler with one another. We could cut each other some more slack, especially the first moment out of captivity. Kindness was shown. I'm sure 37 years of imprisonment left Jehoiachin discouraged and depressed 
and without hope. And who knows at what point in those 37 years he just gave up and just resigned himself to this life. And it was the king of Babylon that came to encourage him and give him hope. And you know, in the same way, God comes to us personally and lifts up our heads and gives us hope. We're forgiven and we're set free and we're even surrounded with people. Maybe we don't have enough confidence for ourselves. Maybe we're just in a weakened state and yet we're surrounded with people that are walking a little, you know, as we learn, we're in this race of life and we're running this race together. And yeah, maybe we're not at the, at the head and maybe we're not winning the race, but we're surrounded with so many people that this guy overcame that and this guy overcame that and you're just filled with a room of overcomers. Not a room filled with hypercritical judgment and hypercritical finger pointing, but freedom. Oh, it's not that we don't speak about the difficulties. It's not that we don't confront the sin. Of course we do. Kindly and gently. Could you turn over, hold your place in Jeremiah. Would you just go to Galatians with me for a moment? In Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, we see a New Testament illustration of exactly what's happening here as the king has his head lifted. And I pray that you would take this to heart and pray over it in your own life and you just pray that you can become better at it. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of, what does your Bible say? Let's say it out loud, in a spirit of gentleness. And then consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Haven't you found it to be true that a heavy burden becomes half as heavy when someone helps you? When someone comes along to help carry the load. Oh, it says, bear one another's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks, verse 3, himself to be something, this is where pride comes in then he's nothing. That's where humility comes in. He deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, because everyone's going to bear his own load. Brethren, sistren, if a man is overtaken, if a woman is overtaken in any trespass, you know I made up sistren. You know that's not a word, right? I want to include the ladies, brothers and sisters, men and women, overtaken, in any trespass. You really, this is one of the gauges of, you know, we like to say we're spiritual. We kind of live in a world that says we're all spiritual. You want to know if you're spiritual? How do you respond when you see a brother or sister overtaken in a trespass? Because if you're spiritual, you're going to want to rush in and restore a brother. That word restore is actually a Greek word from the medical community that speaks of, of putting together a broken bone. That when a bone is fractured, you reset that bone. And I've heard it said that once a bone is set after a break, it never breaks in the same place again. Perhaps it does in, a, in an exception place, but it becomes stronger. Imagine that, as we've learned so many times in our lives, that the actual worst time in our lives becomes the best time in the hands of the Lord. It takes some time for sure. But in our worst of place, how we would ever conceive that God would bring anything good out of this, we know it to be true because God restores and rebuilds and he helps. God lifts up our heads 
and God gives us hope as we're forgiven and we're set free, there's no longer a reason to hang our heads and condemn ourselves because of the freedom. And please, church, never underestimate the power of a kind word or an encouraging text or a helpful note or a quick email or a phone call or a knock on the door. All of those are available depending on the relationship that you have, but never underestimate. You're driving to work one morning, listening to a song, something prompts your mind, and a person comes into your mind. When you get to a safe place, act on it. Maybe it was a devotional. You're in your devotions. You're reading the Bible, and and a scripture pops out, and it just sticks to your mind, and you don't quite understand because it doesn't really relate to anything in your life, but it really stuck out. It kind of almost like we say jumped off the page. Well, as you're meditating on that scripture, I assure you God will bring a purpose to it. And perhaps that purpose might be a person you haven't seen around in a while, an empty chair perhaps. Or it might be a relative, or it might be a number of different people that cross your paths. Don't underestimate the power of kindness and encouragement. Now, I really don't have to convince you of that, do I? Because you have experienced personally the power of a kind word. Just as much as we've experienced the power of a a word that wasn't fitly spoken. You're like, bro, why'd you say that? That's our inside voice. Our outside voice is, thank you. Haven't we all been on the other side of a really hard word? A really misplaced word? Well, at the same time, we've been at the other side of kindness. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. There's fruit that flows through our lives that there's wisdom from above is willing to yield and kindness. See, the king didn't release Jehoiachin and then lay on some heavy trip or some guilt or a series of accusing questions. He comforted him. Psalm 3 verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Number one, he was brought out. Number two, he was comforted. Number three, Jehoiachin was exalted. Look at verse 32 again. He was exalted. Not only did he speak kindly to him, but notice he gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. Not only did the king speak kindly to him after releasing him, but he also restored his life to what it had been before the enemy ripped him off. And isn't that the work of God? God wants to restore what the enemy has stolen from you. He wants to bring you back and place your feet on a solid rock and he wants you to walk forward to restore the things because you know, just as I've shared with you before, just like the psalmist said, my feet almost slipped, my feet almost slipped. And really what that's speaking of is it was almost over. I was that close. I almost didn't come back. And yet he did come back much stronger. It wasn't a series of almost slip, almost slip, almost slip, almost slip. The psalmist writes it one time. And then David begins to extol the power of God to bring him off the edge. We, we use that phrase from time to time, don't we? We'll actually use that vernacular where somebody's in great crisis and we'll say something like, we had the privilege of talking them off the edge. And it really does speak that they're at the end of their rope. They're as far as they possibly, there, there really isn't more, there, there isn't anything more for them. This is often the place of suicidal thoughts. It's often the place of deep hopelessness. 
It's often the place real or imagined. It doesn't really matter because the person that's feeling it, it's 100% real to them. And so we need to meet people where they're at and speak to what they're, ta- what they're talking about. We, the, the, some, of the, some of the worst advice in a person's crisis is, oh, you shouldn't be feeling that. Why are you feeling that? Don't you see it? No, no, no. You speak to them in their pain. You go down into the pit with them and you help escort them out. And you remind them of the power of God and the hope of God. You comfort them. You speak kindly. You lift up their head. And you point them in the right direction so that God can begin to work in their lives. And now your testimony can be, my feet almost slipped. But God was faithful. Because we're just human, dealing with human things. I mean, even if we didn't deal with our own sin. Let's just say we never committed a sin ever again in our lives, which is not going to happen until we see Jesus face to face. But let's just pretend for a moment we deal with everyone else's sin, the consequences of this painful world. And besides, a majority of the world really live in opposition to God. They hate God. They have no, moral, no morality about them. They have nothing to control them but their own thoughts and minds, their own greed and selfishness. Listen, are you overwhelmed by resentment and bitterness? Do you think your life is over? That it's impossible to rebound from this painful situation? I can scan the room today and I don't have their permission, so I won't point them out, but I can see quite a few people that have returned from the edge. And we rejoice. I recognize the power of God to return from the edge. Not only does God forgive you, but he also restores you. That's why forgiveness becomes so overwhelming and breathtaking. He forgives us and restores our life. Isn't that what we learned? Most of us memorize Psalm 23. Even as unbelievers, we memorize Psalm 23. And remember what it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And this is a phrase we almost always read over, like just just kind of read it because we memorized it. But the Bible says that our good shepherd restores our soul. It's right there in the Hebrew Scriptures. He restores our soul. Well, number four we learn in this forgiveness and release is that Jehoiachin was clothed by the king. He was clothed. He was given new clothing. Not only was he brought out, not only was he comforted, not only was he exalted, but he was given new clothes. In verse 33 it says, so Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. He's released out of prison. He's encouraged. He gave him a throne and he put on him a royal robe. I mean, this is a guy 37 years in prison. He was a, he was a king uh, that was known as the enemy of Babylon. And what does he get? Royal robe. To think of the great work of God in our lives. So he restores our nature. He restores our integrity. He restores our character. And he sees us in Christ. He sees us with the robes. There's a phrase that we use, the robes of righteousness. We don't come to him with our own beggarly weak garments trying to cover ourselves. Remember Jesus shared that parable about the wedding and they didn't have the right garments. 
They needed to be given garments by the king, by the groom. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are robed with the garments. You don't have prison garments on anymore. There aren't shackles on your arms any longer. The Bible speaks of God taking away the garment of sadness and giving us the garment of praise. (laughs) It says in Isaiah 61, verse 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Number five, Jehoiachin was favored by the king. He was favored by the king because it says that he ate bread regularly, verse 33, before the king all the days of his life. That basically means that he ate like a king. He ate like a king the rest of his life. No longer the bread of prison. Now he has the bread of a king. That fast, instantly. The king did not abandon Jehoiachin. In fact, by his invitation to eat at his table, he wanted him to know that they would be friends forever. And when God forgives us, he draws us to himself in relationship. You see, with God, by faith in Jesus Christ, this is not a religious experience whereby the people on the stage do all the work for us. And the pastor takes care of everything you need. That, that you get that sense always in religion. You can never approach God. You're never good enough. You'll never make it. Just work really hard and give a lot. And go to the priest and go through the motions. And then just maybe you'll find out after you die. That's religion. Religion has the idea of placing a burden on you. Taking you. Putting a, 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 putting a barrier between you and God. But that is not what God teaches God, he comes to you personally. And he invites you to his table continually so that you enjoy what the king enjoys. And he places you there. You don't take it upon yourself. You recognize the the weak and beggarly condition of your life. And you say, come on, Ed, what are you talking about? Well, listen, you'll never experience this relationship with Jesus Christ until you understand how far you are from him. The Bible says, and God tells us, that we've been separated from him. That there is no connection between man and God. That we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory or God's perfection. Or another way of saying that is none of us are perfect. We kind of make allowances and excuses that none of us are perfect, but that's a serious condition to acknowledge. If you acknowledge today that you're not perfect, then what you're saying in God's language is, is that I've sinned against you, God. I failed to live up to your standard. I failed to live the way you want me to live. God is our creator, and he created us in his image. The purpose of his creation is that our lives might bring great honor to God. That's why we're alive. We're alive on the earth to make God manifest or to make God known to those around us. That's why we're here. That our, our lives, once being lived for ourselves, you know, just really bringing damage to people's lives, including our own. Because, you know, we live in a culture that says, do whatever you want, do whatever, whatever you want, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. That's the big thought. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone. 
unfortunately, those that made up that, that system of philosophy forgot to include hurting yourself by your actions, disintegrating your soul, let alone when you hurt yourself. You know, I can think of one episode in my life as we were uh, talking about, I can remember, I can remember going to jail and being thrown in jail and being violently beat up in custody. So much so that they called my dad to pick me up. So you need to come and get your son. He got hurt. They didn't tell him the extent of how much I got hurt. And you have to understand my dad. My dad's in the presence of the Lord. But he wasn't a man of much emotion. He wasn't a man of much uh, expression. He was just an even guy, just going through life, reliable, loved his family, faithful provider, not a man of great highs, definitely not a man of great lows. And so we didn't see him get angry very often, at least very angry. And we didn't see him, you know, incredibly super happy. Uh, he, you know, he laughed at movies and such. And one thing I didn't see my dad do hardly ever that I, my mind can recall is see him cry. But in my memory bank, I remember like it was yesterday with a photographic memory, my dad picking me up outside in the back of the Bell Police Department, bloodied and beat up, and he took me right to the hall. He just started weeping over the condition of his son. You see, yes, our decisions hurt us. And yes, they hurt the people that love us. And the philosophy that has been spread that do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's not true. We literally need to learn to think of others more than ourselves. You see, if you've come to the conclusion today that you're not a perfect person, then that tells me through your mistakes you've hurt yourself you're currently hurting yourself, and you're hurting people that love you. Oh, it may not be in the context of a Bible. They may not be able to put Bible words on it, but I'm helping them to do that now. There's only one remedy to that philosophy. The Bible says that the wages of sin, the wages of our mistakes, is always death. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it's all around us. The death of relationships, the death of hope, the death of strength, the, the death of marriages. Uh, we're not just physical death, although physical death reminds us that sin is ever with us. But I've seen death in so many other areas that sin just destroys. You see, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the only remedy to where you are right now is this. You talk to God and you admit that you failed him and receive the forgiveness. Yes, God the creator, knowing all about you, more than any of us know, extends his forgiveness to you. And he puts it this way, Jesus says, whosoever will, let him come. You don't need to clean up your life. You don't need to think right now, man, this guy's just, I mean, he's getting to the bottom. It's not really this guy, it's God. And what you're feeling is the weight of the guilt in your life and the reality of what is called conviction, where you recognize I'm not a perfect man. I have failed, and that failure is toward God first and foremost. But God has made a way of escape for you, that today if you'll turn away from your sins, God will forgive you. 
here, downstairs, on the radio, on a mobile device somewhere. It really doesn't matter where you are. God is ready to forgive. The offer of salvation through the Savior Jesus Christ is available to all who will hear and come to him. Jesus says, if you believe, you'll be saved. If you don't believe, you'll be lost. It's really up to you now. You see, forgiveness is available. And to enjoy forgiveness is to come to God and be honest and be real about the condition of your life and to receive the forgiveness. Number six, Jehoiachin's, the final one is Jehoiachin's future was secured by the king. Forgiveness secures the future. Jehoiachin had nothing to worry about the rest of his life. The king assured him that he would be taken care of all of his days. It says in verse 34, As for his provision, there was a regular ration given him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death. And in Christ Jesus, you have an eternal hope that God will take care of you the rest of your life. God has secured our future in Jesus Christ, and we've been given the promise of eternal life. Nothing, nothing, nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hands or separate you from the love of God. Listen, the greatest gift in our lives is that God has forgiven us, and yet it tends to be the most overlooked provision that God gives. We just take it for granted. And thereby, taking God's forgiveness for granted, we take for granted the relationships that are around us. You see, forgiveness that is not full is not really a true forgiveness. A forgiveness is, you know, when a person says, well, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. That's not real true biblical loving forgiveness. It's kind of like saying, you know, let's bury the hatchet. And yet you leave the handle showing so you can go get it anytime you want. The problem with man is that often our forgiveness isn't true because we sort of put God into our own image. And whether we use these words or not, which rarely we do, but basically when we worship an idol, we're basically saying, if I was God, this is what I would do. And we neglect to put God on the throne that he belongs. He will not be dethroned, but you can live as if you're the God on the throne, little g. You see, the problem with man is that our forgiveness isn't always true. We don't have a proper concept, as we've learned today. We forget the concept of what true forgiveness is, of what forgiveness of sin was for us. You see, when God forgives you and me of our sin, it is a total, complete forgiveness, never to be remembered against you again. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated us from our sins. God's forgiveness is for you is total. It's complete. Never again will you have to answer to God for the sin that's been placed under the blood of Jesus Christ. That he is now our advocate. It is gone. It is washed. It is cleansed. And it's tragic that our forgiveness is such that we're prone to bring it up again and use it in our arguments. It's very prominent in marriages where it keeps being brought up and brought up and brought up. There is forgiveness, but then, yeah, but you did that. Yeah, but I asked you to forgive me. Yeah, I forgave you, but I'll never forget. God wants to take you to true biblical forgiveness. Now, you know as well as I do that the human mind is an amazing organ that God has created. And our memories are something really special. And as much as we tend to forget, 
we remember a lot. And so when we speak of not remembering it again, really the application of that is we choose not to hold it against a person. One of the, when we uh, have time with marriages, we created the, this list we brought with us from California called fight rules. We might have changed the, the verbiage of it from time to time, but basically one of the fight rules is don't use the past as a weapon. And of course, true forgiveness is release and reconciliation comes with repentance. And God gets the victory. God does not hold our past against us. We must not think of God's forgiveness in terms by which we forgive one another because God's forgiveness is complete. You have been justified. It's not just being declared innocent or forgiven. It's it's being declared so innocent as though you never committed the sin to begin with. The power of forgiveness. God wipes the slate clean and it's the erasing and the blotting out of our transgression. No looking back. We're pressing forward. God has forgiven it, wiped it away, and we too can pray for the very same power of God to follow through. Remember, it's not something you have to leave today as this study closes and say, I'm going to will myself to forgive. That will lead to frustration and failure. But rather than saying, I will will myself to forgive, you can say, I surrender myself to forgive. Because remember what Philippians teaches us, Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God told us, it's God that works in you, both to will and to do. And the work of God, his agape love, his true spiritual forgiveness actually comes from him and through us. And it's a beautiful thing to experience, just like the king, 37 years in captivity. And in an instant of time, he's changed. And in his life now, so many thousands of years later, we're encouraged to see yet one more picture in the Bible of the great power of the blood of Jesus Christ, who was sent by the Father because of his great love for us, that whoever would believe in Jesus Christ would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's his desire for so many today. So Father, we ask that the power of your spirit would be known here today. We acknowledge to you the wrestling and difficulty we have with forgiveness. Forgiveness of others, forgiveness of ourselves, our minds jacking with us and bringing memories back and on and on the list would go in our humanity, God. And we just surrender to you. We ask you to do a supernatural work that's beyond our ability, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask. And I would even venture that some among us are mad at you, God and have a grudge or bitterness towards you, like a, um, they've been offended by you or by a circumstance in their life. And I would just pray that you would, God, I, I ask that you would comfort the hurting, that you would heal up and bind up the wounded, bandage the wounds, that you would clear minds and And work on the other side, Lord, that you would just supernaturally, like in an instant, repentance, it would be beautiful and wonderful that you would work in our lives where repentance is needed in us. That there would be more kindness and love and gentleness in the church of Jesus Christ. 
among us as believers. That we would be gentle and, and, and kind to one another. That we would be brothers and sisters. That when the brother's overtaken, we'd be spiritual. And we can all grow in that. We don't always know how to deal with it, but you can grow us. We can surrender. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is the time. If you're listening to this Bible study and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, today is the day. And I want to invite you, wherever you are, to acknowledge God in your life, that you would receive the forgiveness. You would accept God's forgiveness. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to invite you to do just that, that you would confess with your mouth and that belief that's in your heart that God sent Jesus to die for your sins and you want to live your life for him from this day forward. And so for the sake of you in this room, if you're here today and you would say, I want to follow Jesus Christ, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. I want you to be rescued from the pit of darkness and be delivered from your prison of sin and death right now, right here in this moment. And, and on behalf of Jesus Christ, I invite you to follow him, not to follow me and not to follow this church and not to follow some other man or mentor or someone, but to follow Jesus Christ, your savior and redeemer and forgiver of all the messy mistakes you have ever done in your life. And the weight of the brokenness of your home and of your mind and of your family has God used to get your attention that you might listen to me right now. And let me tell you something. It was on a Wednesday night Bible study, not unlike this, that I repented of my sins and received the Lord Jesus Christ. God can work in any gathering at any time. And here you are. This is the time. And so if that's you, we'll wait for you. I know we're... A little short on time, but I'm not cutting it short for the sake of you. That God would move in your heart and you would respond. And so I'm asking you to do it publicly. Just stand wherever you are. For the sake of you guys listening to this at a different time, the message is just as real as it is it's delivered live. And God is ready to save your soul. Sitting in a car, laying in a hospital room, huddled in a prison cell, doesn't matter where you are, what you've done, God is ready to forgive you. And you can ask him to forgive you just like this. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins because I believe you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. I believe he, he was buried and rose again to forgive me of my sins. And today, I accept your forgiveness. And I'm asking you to help me to turn away from my sinful past. I repent of my sins and I want to follow you from this day forward. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.